Today's episode of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Chapter 8. So it's been, if you haven't followed along, it's been um, three weeks since I had, uh, this is the third week since um, Chapter 7. Chapter, the week after Chapter 7, I was reading Chapter 8 and I just got so fucking angry. I was like, I can't do this. And then last week we had some incidents on Twitter that needed to be addressed. So that's why I created How to Be Anti-Racist, a strategy. And so I'm just going to dive into chapter eight, behavior, which, um, yes, caused me so much angst. And I'm just going to, you know, go in it, get in it, get out, and move the fuck on. (laughs) So um, chapter eight is behavior. So we'll start with the definitions Behavioral racist, one is making individuals responsible for the perceived behavior of racial groups and making racial groups responsible for the behavior of individuals. Behavior anti-racist, one who's making racial group behavior fictional and individual behavior real. So the first note that I have just wrote in the margins right off bat when I started reading this, I said, while previous chapters made me sad, this chapter made me angry because I've spent too much time, too much of my time striving for what was impossible and blaming myself. That's why this, this chapter just got to me. Um, mm, so much in here to unpack. So um, the first thing I have uh, um uh, highlighted is on page 92 and um, again I haven't read this in a few weeks so I'm going to be rereading this and rediscovering it with you did Martin Luther King successfully fight the likes of Bull Connor so that we could ultimately lose the struggle for civil rights to misguided and malicious members of our own race Um, Eric Holder said this at a Martin Luther King celebration in 1995. <laughs> um, this is a lot about um, the battle within the black community with being assimilationist. Um, and I know I've been saying, in, I know in the last episode I called it assimilist. I've, I, don't, I just got on that roll, but the word is assimilationist. And so there's a lot of, when I speak of, although whiteness is racist by design because it has... It can benefit and leverage the powerful systems and policies. People of color who are non-black um, are dealing, must deal with their own model minority myth and anti-blackness. But people in the black community, we must deal with our own internalized white supremacy and, and, and anti-blackness and how that impacts um, our relationships in our communities. So I just saw a lot here. Um, which speaks to that latter thing. And just now, you know, when you look back on it, <clears throat> having so many years of gaslighting ourselves, it just pisses me off. And so like Jesse Jackson said, um, <clears throat> so um, you are costing everyone's freedom, Jesse Jackson told a group of Alabama prisoners that year, 1995. The so-called, um, so he his his... Again, it's that um, a similar black person who is um, who has been ingrained that the system 
not to focus on the system, but on the individual behaviors. The so-called first black president follows suit. It isn't racist for whites to say that they don't understand why people put up with gangs on the corner or in the projects or with the drugs being sold in schools or in the open, said President Clinton in 1995. It's not racist for whites to assert that the culture of welfare dependency, out-of-wedlock pregnancy, and absent fatherhood cannot be broken by social means, uh, social programs, unless there is first more personal responsibility. <clears throat> I said this um, this week on Twitter. Um, I'm looking for an anti-racist per presidential candidate. I don't know if there is truly one present. I see people with anti-racist leanings, and I see some folks with some serious, assimilist um, leanings, um, and some with some serious, assimilist leanings that I would say are more segregationist. <laughs> because even the fact that Biden is in was came in de facto in front runner because he was the um, vice president of um, Obama speaks to a lot of how, and, and, and the group that held him up the highest were black women, speaks to how this behavioral racist is ingrained in our communities and how we ourselves have taken the torch of that and run with it and set our communities and our hearts on fire. I mean, it's just, it's just, was, this just made me angry. Um, and it's like this issue was personal responsibility. Everything is about personal responsibility um, here. It's not about systems. And so I underlined, starred, and highlighted um, the next paragraph. Indeed, I was responsible. I was irresponsible in high school. It makes anti-racist sense to talk about the personal irresponsibility of individuals like me and of all races. I screwed up. I could have studied harder, but some of my white friends could have studied harder too, and their failures and irresponsibility did ha didn't have somehow tarnished their race. So again, it's the <clears throat> black people are representative of a race, our whole race, which is black, and white folks get to be individuals. And this is why I say, if you're going to say black, I say white. If you're going to say white blackness, I'm going to say whiteness. Um, because that's the only way we can put them parallel um, on equal par with each other. My problems with personal responsibility were exacerbated and perhaps even caused by the additional struggles that racism added to my school life. From a history of disinterested, a racist teacher to overcrowded schools, to the daily racist attacks that fell on young black boys and girls. There was no question that I could have hurdled that racism and kept on running. But asking every non-athletic black person to become an Olympic hurdler and blaming them when they can't keep up is racist. One of racism's harm is the way it falls on the unexceptional black person who is asked to be extraordinary just to survive. So I want to restate this clearly. One of racism's harms is the way it falls on the unexceptional black person who is asked to be extraordinary just to survive. Or even worse, 
the black screw-up who faces the abyss after one error, while the white screw-up is handed second chances and empathy. This shouldn't be surprising. One of the fundamental values of racism to white people is that it makes success attainable for even unexceptional whites, while success, even moderate success, is usually reserved for the extraordinary black person. How do we think about my young self, the C or D student in anti-racist terms? And I wrote a note, this student was me. I was this student. So, um, and I didn't understand it at the time. I just knew that um, in classes that engaged me mentally, I excelled. In classes that did not challenge me, I did the bare minimum. Um, And yet, no one in the school system took the time to look at, to see, question why that was. My mom figured it out, um, but no one questioned maybe there's an issue with the curriculum, the environment, the teacher, none of that. It was all my personal responsibility. Um, and, and I was a rebellious child, so if you told me not to do something and I did not like you or I disrespected you because you disrespected me, I was going to do the exact opposite of what you told me. No, I was actually going to do what you told me not to do. And I was going to turn it up to a 10. So that was the kind of child I was in classroom. Um, and that's why I also have so much patience with many of you because I know what it's like. And, um, but I also now, this is why I draw boundaries with you because I recognize that I was being gaslit by a racist system and I will not allow you to do that same thing to me. So although I understand the struggles you're having in learning these new terms, being inclusive, using pronouns or whatever it is, I will not uh, enable um, whiteness to um, abdicate its responsibility in being better. The truth is that I should be critiqued as a student. I was un- under-motivated and distracted and undisciplined. In other words, a bad student. But I shouldn't be critiqued as a bad black student. I did not represent my race any more than my irresponsible white classmates represented their race. It makes racist sense to talk about personal irresponsibility as it applies to the entire racial group. Racial group behavior is a figment of the racist imagination. Individual behaviors can shape the success of individuals, but policies determine the success of groups. And it is racist power that creates the policies that cause racial inequalities. Um, Just seeing that was so liberating for me. And that's what I wrote in the margin, just liberating. Uh, Making individuals responsible for their perceived behavior of racial groups and making whole groups responsible for the behavior of individuals are the two ways that behavioral racism infects the perception of the world. So I'm at your first assignment. I'm I'm on page 94. And so um, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to read your first assignment. Progressive Americans, the ones who self-identified as not racist, had abandoned biological racism by the end of 1990s. They had gone further. 
mostly they abandon ethnic racism, bodily racism, and cultural racism, but they were still sold on behavioral racism, and they carry its torch unwillingly right up into the present. So your first homework assignment is evaluate the current list of political candidates, local, national, and international, to determine which ones are running on a behavioral racist agenda hold behavioral racist beliefs or promoting behavioral racist policies. Again, evaluate the current list of political candidates, local, national, international, to determine which ones are running on behavioral racist agendas, hold behavioral racist beliefs, or or promoting behavioral racist policies. All right, so we go to page 95, every time someone racializes behavior, describes something as black behavior, they are expressing a racist idea. To be an anti-racist is to recognize there is no such thing as racial behavior. To be anti-racist is to recognize there is no such thing as black behavior, let alone irresponsible black behavior. Black behavior is as fictitious as black genes. There, are, there is no black gene. No one has more scientifically established a single black behavior trait. No evidence has ever been produced, for instance, to prove that black people are louder, angrier, nicer, funnier, lazier, less punctual, more immoral, religious, or dependent. That Asians are more subservient. That whites are greedier. All we have are stories of individual behavior, but individual stories are only the proof of behaviors of individuals. Just as race doesn't exist biologically, race doesn't exist behaviorally. But what about the argument that clusters all black people in the South and Asian Americans in New York's Chinatown or white people in Texas suburbs seem to behave in ways that follow coherent and definable cultural practices. Anti-racism means separating the idea of a culture from the idea of behavior. Culture defines a group tradition that a particular racial group might share, but is not shared among all individuals of the racial group or among all racial groups. Behaviors define an inherent human traits and the potential that everyone shares. Humans are intelligent and lazy even as that intelligence and laziness might appear differently across the racial cultural groups all right so um then he goes into some historic um data on page 96 and then i um starred abolitionist or rather progressive assimilationist conjured what I call the oppression inferiority theory in their well-meaning effort to persuade Americans about the horrors of oppression. Assimilationists argued that oppression had degraded the behaviors of their oppressed people. The first and greatest step towards the settlement of the present friction between the races lies in the correction of the immorality, crimes, and laziness among the Negroes themselves, which still remains as a heritage of slavery. 
1897, W.E.B. Du Bois pictured the first and greatest step towards the settlement of the present friction between the races lies in the correction of the immorality, crime, and laziness among the Negroes themselves, which still remains a her- as a heritage of slavery. So this is a black person saying this. This fl- framing of slavery as a demoralizing force was the mirror image of the Jim Crow historian's framing of slavery as a civilizing force. Both positions led Americans toward behavioral racism. Black behavior demoralized by freedom and freed black behavior demoralized by slavery. The latest expression of the oppression inferiority theory is known as the post-traumatic slave syndrome or PTSS. Black infighting, materialism, poor parenting, colorism, defeatism, rage, these dysfunctional and negative behaviors, as well as others, are in large part related to the transgenerational adaptations associated with the past trauma of slavery and ongoing oppression. This was put forth um, by Joy DeGruy in, ni- in 2012. Five in a book, Post-Traumatic Slavery Syndrome. Black individuals have, of course, suffered trauma from slavery and ongoing oppression. Some individuals throughout history have exhibited negative behaviors related to this trauma. But there is a thin line between the anti-racist saying individuals blacks have suffered trauma and the racist saying blacks are are a traumatized people. There is similarly a thin line between an anti-racist saying slavery was debilitating and a racist saying blacks are a debilitated people. Again, one is talking about the system and one is talking about a group of people. The latter constructions erase whole swaths of history. For instance, the story of even the first generation of emancipated black people who moved straight from plantations into the Union Army, into politics, labor organizing, union leagues, artistry, entrepreneurship, club building, church building, school building, and community building. There is not one personality trait of the Negro, the source of which cannot be traced to his difficult living condition. This was written in 1951 um, as a part of the Mark of Oppression, a a psychosocial study of American Negro. The final result is a wretched inner life a crippled self-esteem, a vicious self-hatred. As a struggling black teenager in the 90s, I felt suffocated by a sense of being judged, primarily by the people I was closest to, other black people, particularly older black people who worry over my entire generation. The black judge in my mind did not leave any room for mistakes of black individuals. I didn't just have to deal with the consequences of my personal feelings. I had the added burden of letting down an entire race. Our mistakes were generalized as mistakes of the race. It seemed like white people were free to be misbehave, make mistakes. But if we failed or failed to be twice as good, then the black judge handed down a hard sentence. No probation or parole. This was, there was no middle ground. We were either king's disciples or thugs killing king's dream. That's a heavy burden to place on a whole bunch of people, uh, particularly young folks uh, who who don't understand any of this because we're not talking about this in our communities. 
And I hope, and I know that I've done that. And um, I'm doing everything I can to help shift that. Um, mm, that's that, Just reading it is just, just heartbreaking. I internalize my academic struggles as indicative of something wrong, not just with my behavior, but with black behavior as a whole. Since I represented my race, both in their eyes or what I thought I saw in their eyes and in my own. And then I just wanted to highlight this one statistic from in 2015, blacks had the lowest mean SAT scores of any racial group. Um, and um, I, I don't, I'm not going to get into all the standardized testing stuff here. You can read that. Um, but I'm, it's, I'm happy to see that many, not many, that there are some institutions who are no longer weighing so heavily on the SAT, the GRE, all these standardized tests um, um, because they do not measure intelligence. What they measure are people who have privilege to um, understanding and learning how to take a test. So on page 101, the so-called attribution effect, which drives us to take personal credit for any success, those of us who prep for the test would score higher and then walk into better opportunities thinking it was all about us that we were better and smarter than the rest and we even had arguable inarguable quantifiable proof this is whiteness in tech god lord it is so this is your question too homework too how does this manifestation of the attribution effect show themselves in tech within your organizations your community in yourself so the attribution effect, again, is that thing which drives us to take personal credit for any success. So um, it, this, this is not about, this is the, the individuals who talk about how hard they work to get where they were. Um, you know, they attribute all of their success to um, their efforts. And this is why I laugh when people want to say that Kylie Jenner is a self-made billionaire. Um, if this young woman did not have every damn bit of privilege uh, propping her up, um, and then she wanted to, wanted to say, "Well, I started, I stopped getting allowance or whatever when I was 14," um, and so she had to make her own money. You made your own money at 14 from being on a TV show that was making millions. It's not like she had to go to Taco Bell to get a job. So, again, the question homework is: How does man? the manifestation of the attribution effect show themselves within tech, within your organizations, your communities, and within yourself. The use of standardized tests to measure, to measure aptitude and intelligence is one of the most effective racist policies ever devised to degrade black minds and legally exclude black bodies. So that's how you went to schools when you have these SATs, SATs, or whatever they are, this is how you can illegally keep us out because we're not going to do well on these tests anyway. Um, there is an even more sinister implication of the achievement gap talk that disparities of academic achievement accurately reflect disparities of intelligence among racial groups. Intellect is the linchpin of behavior and the racist ideas of the achievement gap is the linchpin of behavioral racism. Remember, to believe in racial hierarchy is to believe a, a racist idea. The idea of the achievement gap between the races, which whites and Asians at the top and blacks and Latinas at the bottom, creates a racial hierarchy with its 
implications that the racial groups in test scores means something is wrong with the black and Latinx test takers and not the test. From the beginning, the test, not the people, have always been the racial problem. I know this is a hard idea to accept. So many well-meaning people have tried to solve the problem of the racial achievement gap. But once we understand the history and policies behind it, it becomes clear. And then it gets to talking about IQ tests, SATs, all that stuff. Um, and so I start at the bottom of page 202, I mean 102, segregationist pointing to inferior genes have been overwhelmed in racist debates over the cause of the achievement gap by assimilationists pointing to inferior environments. So it's like, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because both segregationists and assimilationists believe that there's an inferiority in um, racial groups. The only difference is that the segregationist believes that it is a permanent thing and the uh, assimilationist believes that this is something that can be trained out of a person. So um, question, so I have um, through these initiatives and many, I'm on page 103, through these initiatives and many, many others, education reformers bang the drum of an achievement gap to get attention and funding for their um, equalizing efforts. Um, and this is why I keep telling you, this is one reason I left education because it, there is no reform. Um, there's no incentive to reform because too many people are being, are profiting off a broken racist system. Um, and I've said this before, like tests and ranking work, work well for school systems, but not for schools. So I never, as a, as a teacher cared about, um, where a student ranked or if they were in IP, IB classes or, you know, investment placement classes or anything, because I could always tell which ones were capable of um, thinking beyond or who were learning the test. Because if I, those same students, when they were giving a multiple choice test, they excel well. If they were giving an open-ended um, I had to give open-ended answers. They did not. They fared just as well or um, uh, as uh, uh, on par with the quote-unquote gen ed students or the general ed students because these tests and how we prep students for these tests that should be about intellect, that's what you're saying, it's not. It's about taking a test. Um, and so it is more efficient and effective for school systems to rank you. It is in their best interest. This is how they keep track of people. If um, This is how they make the data clean and easier to access and evaluate by ranking people. So it is in the best interest of school systems to do these things because it helps rank, but it does not do anything for the student except for have them deal with the whole attribution effect. Um, um, what if we measure intelligence by how knowledgeable individuals are about their own environments? What if we measure intel intellect by the individual's desire to know? What if we realize the best way to ensure an effective educational system is not by standardizing our curricula and tests, but by standardizing the opportunities available to all students? So this is your um, question homework assignment three on page 103. After reading this paragraph, this um, has this information challenged the value you place on standardized testing for yourself and your children? If so, how? 
All right. The lack of resources di- leads directly to diminished opportunities for learning. In other words, the racial problem is an opportunity gap, as anti-racist reformers cause, call it, and not an achievement gap. So um, your question four is um, today on um, page 104. Sorry. Okay, so your question is going to be on 104. Based on how often MLK is misquoted and used to justify uh, the the pacification of the voices of the most vulnerable and the comfort of the privileged, write a speech using the prompt, what would be Dr. King's message for the millennium? Okay, so again, this is this is your homework assignment. Based on how often MLK is misquoted and used to justify the pacification of the voices of the most vulnerable and the comfort of the privileged, write a speech using the prompt, what would be Dr. King's message for the millennia? So I'm wrapping this up. So I'm still at the bottom of um, page 104. As long as the mind is enslaved, the body can never be free. Um, As long as the mind thinks that there's something behaviorally wrong with racial groups, the mind can never be anti-racist. As long as the mind oppresses the oppressed by thinking their oppressive environment has retarded their behavior, the mind can never be anti-racist. As long as the mind is racist, the mind can never be free. To be anti-racist is to think nothing is behaviorally wrong or right, inferior or superior with any of the racial groups. When the anti-racist sees individuals behaving positively or negatively, the anti-racist sees exactly that, individuals behaving positively and negatively, not representatives of entire groups. To be anti-racist is to de-racialized behavior to remove the tattoo stereotype from every racialized body. Behavior is something humans do, not racists do. Let me repeat this final statement. Behavior is something humans do, not racists do. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Cause Scene Podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Causing Movement by visiting the website at hashtagcausing.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Causing, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.